Awesome. Come on and take a seat, everybody. Give somebody one last greeting, maybe a hug or something. The final greeting. You know, sometimes, uh, hi everybody online. I'm just going to tell you online people right now because nobody here is listening yet. Sometimes uh, when it's time for our kids to go down, me and Marcia sing the final countdown uh, as we're watching the last TV show before we get to put them down. Kind of makes it sound like I don't love my kids. I do, but there is something beautiful about them being in bed. Amen. Oh, good. Welcome, everybody. Uh, come on, take a seat. Snug, get all snuggly. Um, I'm Jordan. If you don't know me, I'm so happy that you're here today. And before I get started with my talk, I just want to um, throw this out there again. Um, we have some Compassion International packets in the back. And what Compassion International is, is you are partnered uh, with a child that is somewhere else in the world. And for Wyoming Harbor, we're sponsoring kids from Uganda. And uh, you form a relationship with these kids uh, individually by sending them letters back and forth. So my wife and I have been sponsoring Ruth uh, in Uganda, I don't even, uh, the last couple of years. I've gotten to go visit her. And I just want to invite you, last week we had a Mission Sunday where we talked a little bit more about what Compassion International is, but essentially it's an organization that exists to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. And the way that they do that is by individuals or families uh, partnering with them to sponsor kids. So we have packets in the back. We had one taken last week. Let's go. Um, so if you want to begin sponsoring a kid, it's something that obviously you pay for, um, but... Uh, talk to Julie or whoever is at the, the guest thing in the back. Ginger. There we go. Ginger's enthusiastically at the back there. Uh, you can talk to her about that afterwards if you would like. So, uh, we're in a series called, I'm taking a drink now, Dawson. He said he's going to, both of you are doing it? Okay. They, they said they're both going to take a drink every time I take a drink. So, I'm going to psych you out. See, this is going to be worse for you than it is for me. I like that you pointed it out to me. Daniel's doing it too. You're my favorite and least favorite row in this whole place right now. Um, <laughs> I would be that guy if I were sitting out there. So the goal of this series, uh, Creating Next Step uh, Culture, is to help all of us to take a next step with God. And I've, I've said this every week, but it's, it's interesting in the Bible that uh, faith is almost always referred to or described as a walk. And so when we talk about taking next steps with God, um, it makes sense that we would talk about it in such terms, that um, we take an intentional next step in order to grow closer to God. So next week, um, we're going to kind of create a moment. I haven't shown this to you at all yet, but if you look at the row in front of you, there should be um, this uh, next steps card. Um, pull that out a second. Uh, during communion next week, so we're going to... we're gonna gather at the Lord's table next week with the, the bread and the juice. Uh, during that time, though, uh, you, you have the option. Of course, this is all optional, right? But the option of uh, filling this out and intentionally taking a next step with God. And the reason we, we want you to do that and invite you to do that is that we're a church. <laughs> and we uh, exist to help people find their way back to God. And that implies also a journey of stepping forward. So... Um, you can see the, the words that are on there. We've been uh, 
We've been really working through this throughout the series, and today I'm going to hit on a couple of them, and next week we'll wrap up the others. But want this language to just be normal uh, around here with us, that uh, maybe God is calling us to grow in a certain area or connect with certain people or give to a certain thing or serve or witness or impact. Um, We've got, like Julie said, really, really good resources, more than you could ever possibly do because we're trying to give a, a good scope to everybody of resources on the website um, for next steps that you could take to grow closer to God because I think we all want that and you've all taken the next step to come here today to gather so give yourself a pat on the back give yourself a little a knuckle you can give yourself some knucks and uh, we'll step into the talk today so next week we'll have those cards you can take that card home with you if you want to but Um, We want to create a moment for you to take a next step with God. So we're going to walk through a story today in the talk that is fairly long, which means it takes Jordan a long time to to plot out how I'm going to do it because I'm a simple man. Um, (laughs) And sometimes it's it's a beautiful, beautiful story. But what what I'm going to do is I broke the story up today into like four scenes because that, that helps make sense of things to me. Four scenes that kind of represent, no, that do represent a shift in the story that we're going to be talking about today. So I'll be asking questions along the way as you seek to kind of see yourself in this story. And like I said, it's a beautiful story. Daniel, there you go. Um, Beautiful story that I'd never spent time with before that I am excited to share with you at the end of it uh, through all four scenes of this story. The main character is a person called the Shunammite woman. She's like, sounds like a Wonder Woman character or something, doesn't it? Like she's, you'll see in the story how she was like legit. She's, she's the main character um, along with Elisha, a guy that we've been talking about the last few weeks who's a prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, we don't know her name other than she was a Shunammite from Shunamm. That's where she was from. Uh, she's really only pictured in this scene that we're going to talk about, or this story that we're going to talk about, and then one other thing uh, later that we, I don't think I'll touch on, but unless the spirit leads there, we'll see. Uh, she's the primary speaker for her family, so her husband um, is there, but she's, she's the one that speaks for their family, which um, in a pa- patriarchal society is very different, so it's very cool and interesting to see that. She was the leader. Uh, she was a successful person, and was radically hospitable, and you'll see that, and, and relational, I think, is the thing that's, that's most awesome about this story. So uh, she also was uh, great. So the word that you'll see in a little bit that describes her as, I think it says like a well-to-do person, uh, can mean wealthy for sure, but also implies like she was just a great person uh, in, in the character form, not just like wealthy. So these 30 verses that we're going to look at probably cover around five to ten years of time. And it's interesting with the Bible sometimes, right? Because you like are reading and then it's like, boom, snap. Then you go into like a completely different village or a completely different time period. Partially why I'm doing the, the scene thing to signify that something different is happening there. Um, but also I think it's just worth knowing that this occurs over a decent amount of time. So uh, let me pray and then we will start with scene one. Lord, speak through uh, my voice today. Um, Cool thing about preaching 
is I know that you're either going to speak through what I say or in the silences in between with something completely different. So I do believe that uh, the privilege of, of getting to proclaim your word and your good news and truth is necessary and I'm humbled to get to do it. And so I just pray that for everybody who might be watching online or listening to podcasts later or who's sitting in this room here today, that uh, they will be given hope and will have clarity even on maybe a next step that you're inviting them into with their walk with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Scene one, building the guest room. So we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. That's right after 1 Kings. So narrows it down a little bit, doesn't it? Um, I'm going to have all the, the Bible verses on the screen, so you can follow along in your phone if you want. There might be stuff you want to highlight. Otherwise, you can just pay attention to the screens. Start it. You're still doing it, guys. Um, we're going to start in verse 8. So 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8 says this. One day, Elisha went to Shunem which is where our friend is, and a well-to-do woman. This is where uh, I was talking about. Well-to-do could, could mean wealthy, but also means like of great character. Wonder Woman. Uh, a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So she was paying attention to this prophet. Uh, so whenever he came by, so he frequented this village, he stopped there to eat, So she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So a bed, a, let's see, where is it? Small room, a... A bed, so we're going to make ourselves a little bed here, just because that's fun. The world's smallest bed for, I guess, a very small man. Let's just say Elisha was a small man. That's okay, nothing wrong with that. So that's his bed, and then we have a lamp, which we all know is like a candle probably, right? And then we'll say this is our table and the chair. So they made a guest room for him. Isn't that cool? They made a guest room for this new friend of theirs. Those are the same items that they listed are like in the, um, the, the tabernacle in the temple. So it's like very symbolic, kind of represents that he was a representative of the mobile presence of God, like a, a total foreshadowing of, of Jesus in the New Testament. So total wormhole that would be really exciting if you like to read the Bible to like see how that works out. Um, But they built that room for him because he represented the presence of God coming into their lives. So she makes a room for him, uh, kind of like we do here every week. So it continues, uh, verse 11. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, oh wait, no, hold up. His room. Isn't that cool? Like already, he's calling it, that's his room. That's pretty cool. I love little details like that. Uh, So he said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. I I just want you to notice that he doesn't communicate with her directly right here. 
And in fact, for a while he doesn't. He sends his assistant to go talk to her, which will become kind of important later in the story. Okay. So uh, he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, so still kind of communicating through the servant, right? You have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. So they, her family made them a room, made Elisha a room to stay in, and they wanted to bless her back, naturally, right? Because it seems like they're becoming good friends now. So they wanted to return the favor. Um, I, love, I love her response, though. She's like, I'm good. Like, I like being with my people. My life is all set. And she wanted to live and serve among her people rather than some sort of promotion to maybe better housing or something like that. Um, sounds a lot like Jesus to me, which is, I think, pretty cool. But Elisha and his servants, after that, after she like said, I'm good, don't worry about it, um, they continued the conversation because they really wanted to help her back. It's almost like um, Midwest guilt. You know what I'm talking about? When somebody does something nice for you and you almost feel like it's a sin to, to receive like kindness from other people. Like, no, 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 it, no, no, thank you. Let me do this for you. Or, hey, thank you for doing that. No, thank you. Like, I'm the king of that. Like, so silly. I feel like that's kind of what they're doing here. Um, where they, like, we can't stand letting people help us. Uh, verse 14, though, it says, what can be done for her? So they really wanted to help her. They really wanted to bless her back because of her kindness and hospitality. Uh, what can be done for her, Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her. Again, he's like communicating through his servant here, right? And she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead, keyword, don't mislead your servant. So her husband was old. She didn't have children, which in that culture meant uh, no one to succeed the husband in the work on the property. So they, they thought the best way to bless her was with a child. And it does sound like they wanted to have children. Don't mislead me. There was a desire, but maybe not the ability to. And I know some of us can relate to the difficulty of that. So, uh, or maybe they just wanted to focus on the business. You don't know. Either way, she becomes pregnant. And verse 17 says, but the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son just as Elisha had told her. So this is a good story so far, right? I like scene one. Scene one is fun. Uh, they became friends. They share faith in God. They make a guest room for him. And the prophet prays for, for her to have a child with her husband, and she does. All things are going well. And they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> Let me pause to ask you. Um, she had something to offer to other people. She was on the lookout for who she could befriend and bless. 
She clearly had a servant's heart and was extraordinarily hospitable. She was a great woman. She made room for people. So the question I want to ask you as we keep going here is, who are you making room for? Who in your life are you noticing that God is putting into your life? She's, she's noticed that he would come into town. And maybe God wants me to do something for this person or befriend or serve this person. How can you extend blessing and friendship to whoever God might be inviting you in your life to be making room for? Who can you support and who can you learn from? Things are going pretty smooth in uh, scene one. Scene two, as you can imagine, uh, things changed. Scene two is the couch or the bed. They refer to it as either a bed or a couch in the story, kind of interchangeably. Verse 18, the child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. So it implies some time passed there, right? Because the, the boy can speak. His father told the servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and then shut the door and went out. This is the guest bedroom. This is the one that she made, they made, for this person whom they decided to bless. And the gift that they were given of that child was like poetically placed on the same gift that she and her husband had made for their friend. At first, this was a pretty easy story. But at this point, it's now difficult beyond belief. It's a good thing that, that went sideways. What started out as an easy, happily ever after story now has this deeply difficult hurt. And I know some of you have been there for that hurt specifically, so I just, I, I want to name that. That actually losing a child, because we're, we're looking at this story metaphorically here, but the pain that comes from that, I, I can't even imagine how unbearable that, that feels. So as I continue, we're going to look at that couch and the loss metaphorically, but I just also want to say, when you bring up something so heavy, um, I just want to acknowledge that 
that I can't imagine how difficult that might be for you and your family. And we're here for you if, if that's you and you need some people to come around and just listen to you, to you vent about it or um, share hope from the word or laugh or be quiet together. Uh, we're here for you if that's your, if that's your situation. For all of us, what's on your couch? What, what unresolved thing sits where hope used to be? What unresolved thing sits where hope used to be? What are you laying down that used to be a blessing? And then probably the best sub-question to that is from there, who, where and who are you running to for help? When a good story goes sideways, when loss happens. So she leaves her son on that bed for a reason, though. A significant reason. Because you know who wasn't on that couch anymore was this prophet, this holy man of God who God used to gift her with the child in the first place. And he represented a friendship, certainly, but also he represented the one to whom uh, God has done miracles through. So watch what happens next. Scene number three, the fierce woman. So she holds back the tears, composes herself, and then she gets moving. Verse 22. She called to her husband and said, please send me one of your servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. You see what she's doing here, right? She believes that God has the power to raise her son from the dead, so she has no time to wait. It sounds like in the movies um, when they say, like, I'll explain later, you just have to trust me. You know, she... She shuts the door, call the servant, get the donkey ready, let's go. So who does she go to? She goes to the person that she believes rep is representative of God, but in close proximity to God. Verse 23 says, uh, why do you go to him today? Her husband says this. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath, so it's not a holiday. It's not a holiday or the weekend. Why do you need, she didn't tell him that their son had passed. She was just fiercely focused on getting to this person to get the help that she needed. That's all right, she said. So the word she uses there is shalom, which is like, that takes a ton of spirit to drum up the courage to tell your husband peace. He doesn't even know what's going on in that scenario, but peace. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you, this is a woman on a mission. Drive it like you stole it. Right? So she, she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel, which is so cool that it's like 
if you remember the same mountain four weeks ago where Elisha did the like big showdown with the prophets of, of Baal, like this is a significant place where now Elisha has called it home. It's where he goes to rest, essentially. That's about an 18 and a half mile uh, journey as, as the crow flies. I'm in my 30s, so I use phrases like as the crow flies now, apparently. Um, and take time to craft that phrase in my notes. <laughs> I'm weird. Uh, yep, I've never watched Game of Thrones, but I, I hear you on that. Um, so through the windy hills and the mountains, it could be like a six-hour journey on a donkey. Next verse. When he saw... Oh, wait, no, where am I? Okay, yep. When he saw her in, in the distance, the man of God said to his servant, Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Why did they never say her name? <laughs> She's got a name. Um, run to meet her. Same thing, right? Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything's all right, she says. She's, she's focused on not talking to the servant anymore. She waited hours and hours to share her grief, not with the servant, but she wanted to be face-to-face -face with her friend in this critical moment. Next verse says, when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came to her to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. This prophet who seems to be the one that always kind of knows what God is saying God withheld information from so that he could learn from her. And so that he could hear these words. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said. Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? She waited hours and hours to share her grief with him, her friend, whom from the sounds of it, her family really shared life with. They made a guest room for him. Her friend that she knew had a strong relationship with God and a shared faith in the goodness of God have you ever been in a situation before where, um, where life is going sideways, things are confusing and hard, and then you see that person in your life that you know you have trust and who's a safe person to you, and when you see them in that state, you just lose it? They don't even have to say a word. Uh, 
even though she's being brutally honest with him about the pain that she's having, I think this is also a friend that she cares about. A person that matters who she ran to in a time when she was suffering great loss. So as fierce as she was, she still needed a friend to hold on to. She needed a go-to friend, as we all do. And as much as Elisha knew about God, he needed to learn something from her. It was a mutual relationship of serving and connection. We can learn a lot from that, can't we? So who are your go-to people? Who are you making room for? Who are you running to? Whose feet are you grabbing when you can't stand? A healthy discipling relationship is both about connection, being served, and about serving. And I, and I do just want to pause to say this. If you don't feel like you have any go-to people, we got people that will be your go-to people. It's why we're here. It's why years and years ago we had this idea to start a community that would, would create belonging for you. So that when, when your gifts get ripped out of your arms, when, when life is hard, you have somebody to go to. I, I can name stories, and I've done it recently from up here, of ways in which I'm seeing this group and those that might not be here today with us um, show up as the go-to people for each other during terrible, hard circumstances. And you also like to be with each other. We're part of a church that is doing our best to show up for each other. And I just want to say again, I'm proud of you guys. Not from some higher position, as your friend, as your pastor or whatever, I am proud of how this group of people shows up for each other. And again, if you're someone who doesn't feel like you have any go-to people, we have people waiting, like the Shunammite woman, scanning their lives to see who God is going to send into theirs that they can be a go-to person for. We have groups that meet weekly uh, to, to build relationships and serve. Missional communities, something that we want to bring back and continue to build that are here for you, for us. That's been the place of some of the most beautiful things that we've seen happen, that God has done through uh, this church that he's building. The next scene, the last scene, is whatever it takes. God, or, uh, in this moment when the Shunammite woman runs all the way up to the mountain, um, and Elisha was not able to see why she was there. I think God wanted him to see that he can't expect to do God's work from a comfortable distance. 
that he can't just send his servant to do the, the work of showing up. That's something he had to learn how to do himself. But you have to let people into your life. What you did, but he didn't realize that he was creating distance by not showing up in hers until he starts to learn that now. Verse 29, Elisha says to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, don't answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. Strange detail, but lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely, this, this line might sound familiar, it's so deep. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. If you were here last week, that's the line that Elisha used for his mentor when he was trying to prove a point. When he told his mentor that he would not leave his side because he was so committed to growth. What she's saying here is she's committed to the relationship. She's committed to connecting and mutually serving together. And I think kind of inviting Elisha to step up a little bit. Be present. Go with me. So he got up and followed her. In this story, the woman really needed... Elisha to show up for her. She's reminding him through using that like exact same phrase that he used himself that he needed somebody badly once too. And now she needs him to that same degree of intensity that he once said he needed his mentor. So it's his turn to serve her again. And she's committed to that discipling relationship. Verse 31, Gehazi went on ahead and laid his staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there the boy was laying dead on his couch. We're back where we started. in the guest room that she made for him, except this time the sheets aren't folded. Her problem, her pain, her loss was sitting on his couch because she trusted her problem in the hands of her friend. They shared the goodness of those gifts and now they share the pain of those gifts. That's what a relationship is, right? Next verse says, he went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed. So this is where it gets a little strange, but then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands, as he stretched himself out on the boy and the boy's body grew warm. So this is the, the strangest part, except maybe it's not, his ritual. Um, sometimes the Bible has strange rituals like this 
that result in healing or miracle or something. I, want, I do want to suggest to you, I don't think this, this process is maybe meant for us to cut, copy, and paste to today. Um, but I also want to say, you can try if you want, I guess, but um, I also want to say that even stranger than the ritual that Elisha went through when he was going to praying that this boy would raise from the dead is the fact that there are miracles at all. That's quite a bit stranger than the process of him trying to make it happen. So, verse 35, Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more, just for good measure. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Him opening his eyes is the strangest part of that story. Because the normal order we all know is when somebody is laid to rest and there's no longer life in their body that the eyes remain closed. I mean, the ritual was strange. It's weird. But it's still more strange and phenomenal that this story describes a God that has the power to give life, to allow life to end, and then to give life back. So I think our responses to such a good God should be and is from similar to the Shunammite's response, as she says in verse 36, Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite, and he did. When she came, she, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. She took him and went out. She was given the gift back. She went from shaking the feet of her friend in absolute distress for him to do something, to be there for her, to pray to God, to what I assume is weeping at the feet of her friend and thanksgiving that there is a God that can raise dead things. And this is a story about God doing something through people trusting and serving each other. It's a story about connection. It's a story about serving together. And above all that, it's a story about a God who raises dead things. It's about hospitality and deepening relationships. It's a story that's full of next steps for us. So who can you serve and connect with? Last question. Who, who, can, be a Shunam, who can you be a Shunammite woman to? Who can you be a go-to person for? Who can you make room for? Who can you build a relationship with? Or who is a, Sh a Shunammite woman to you? Who shows you how to really serve people well? Who shows you how to really care about relationships? 
Who teaches you about how to follow God faithfully through challenge? I think I'm looking at a room of Shunammites right here, of people who love to show up for each other, of people who faithfully serve, of people who don't just want shallow relationships, but want that kind of foot-shaking depth with each other.